Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Thursday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, another giveaway today as we have a four-pack of tickets for the Comets as they return home to the Coliseum coming up this weekend. Teddy Bear Toss tomorrow night against the Toledo Walleye. So we have a four-pack of tickets we'll give away that at the end of the show. Come up with a keyword here. Uh, shortly. Also on the show today, Purdue recruiting. Matt Painter's done something he hasn't done in over 15 years. Does that perhaps actually ramp up the pressure on Painter moving forward? Plus, uh, Jack Swarbrick speaks uh, on the Notre Dame official uh, podcast show. I, I, don't, I don't know. The, I, I guess it's technically it's like a, a video thing um, that I believe is also a podcast, but Interesting comments on Freeman and why he's absolutely wrong about the college football playoff. We'll get to that this hour. Also, the Cubs made one big move this offseason. Could they perhaps make another big move? That's also this hour. Hour number two, Matt Painter. Imagine the pressure he's under now, obviously, to win in March. What it will mean moving forward. How much more pressure there will be with the recruiting class that he has and why... Uh, Not everything is so rosy. Just look at the IU program. Uh, The Bears facing a must-win game tonight. Uh, Not because they need to win games. The Bears stink. But for other purposes. We'll get to that about 8.20. And the NCAA has updated their gambling policy. It helps some, but not all, implicated in a recent gambling scandal in the state of Iowa. Plus, uh, don't worry, Justin, we found another Bear story. Not Chicago Bears, but, you know. All right, back on the Animal bear beat. bears, and uh, this happened in Florida. Let's just put it this way. If this happened to me, I'd be pretty upset. Okay. But again, bears are going to get their food no matter what. We'll get to that uh, before we wrap up. Morning. Good morning. How are you on a Thursday? <sighs> Dragon. Yeah. Dragon, trying to, uh, trying to get some sleep somewhere. A struggle this week. But uh, no, we're doing all right. Can't wait for that big game coming up tonight. Bears, yeah. Bears the, and the, uh, Carolina. The, uh, the just loaded Week Ten primetime oh, schedule. This is just the, the appetizer. Uh, if if you thought Bears and Panthers wasn't wasn't enough for you, don't worry. You have Colts and Patriots in Frankfurt Sunday morning. And that's going to be... You have Dallas and New York Giants in the late game Sunday afternoon. Barf. You have Jets and Raiders Sunday night. Snooze. Oh, and to cap it all off, Bills and Broncos on Monday Night Football. Man. Nothing's going to get you out of bed quicker than Colts Patriots at 930 (laughs) on a Sunday morning. Just a loaded slate in the NFL for Week 10. It all starts tonight. We'll get more on the Bears and why this game's actually important for them coming up in our Number two, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. That is the text line number. Uh, Our keyword for Comets tickets today. Let's just go with Teddy Bear. I guess Teddy Bear. Teddy Bear. uh, Because it's Teddy Bear Toss Night coming up tomorrow night at the Coliseum as the K's take on the Toledo Walleye, their rival. Um, Again, Teddy Bear Toss Night, so something to look forward to. 8 o'clock puck drop, and that one we have a four-pack of tickets. Just text Teddy Bear to 46862, and you'll be in the running uh, for that four-pick of tickets, a four-pack of tickets for tomorrow night's game. Also, don't forget, you can stream us, 1380thefan.com. 
That is free via the 1380 The Fan app, also free to download, or your smart speaker as well if you can't listen on your radio. Headlines this morning, and we start in Major League Baseball. An interesting move, a blast from the past. Uh, The Angels have hired Ron Washington to be their next manager. Now, he's not been a manager uh, since 2014. He's 71 years old, of course, managed the Texas Rangers. Uh, They had two World Series appearances over eight seasons. Washington with a a winning record over his career. Uh, He said, I'm lost for words, uh, but not the work it will take, uh, is what what he said via text when he was reached out to as far as getting the job. But uh, bizarre move. I, I don't think, you know, th- this this was a name I thought, wow. Like, I didn't even realize he was even around baseball. Well, And he wasn't. Make no mistake, it's not a job that a lot of people were trying to get in, with the Angels right now. So Ron Washington experience, as you mentioned, with a couple of pennants with Texas and was with Washington when he resigned in 2014. So... He's a guy that's um, been around Major League Baseball as a player, as a manager, and the Angels are hoping he can come in and lead them. Now, what the roster will look like, that's anybody's question. Third base coach for the Braves 2017 through this season. Uh, So he's been part of Major League Baseball. Fifth manager in seven years for the Angels. Ah, not ideal. Yeah. Uh, Remember, they had Joe Madden, Bill Nevin, uh, just a lot of moves, and again, talented players, but and unable to do anything as far as getting to the postseason uh, with some of those talented players over the years. Uh, elsewhere in the NBA, the NBA draft and NBA looking at moving the draft from just one night to two nights across the two rounds. I'm surprised so it, they haven't done this. It just earlier. makes more sense. You'd get more eyeballs Absolutely. on the draft because the second round's an afterthought. Usually, by the time it starts. Often after eleven o'clock Eastern. Yeah, it's um, people pay attention to the lottery, and then it's kind of like eh, whatever. Especially the second round. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the majority of those second rounders aren't going to turn out or are going to be G League guys or at least start off there. So that doesn't help. It's not like we're talking second rounders in the NFL. But I I do think this is something that that the NBA is long overdue as everybody else is trying to put eyes on their draft. Of course, the NFL. Even the NHL does a really good job. MLB is trying to go that way, but they have so many rounds. So it's a natural step for the NBA to try to make this a multi-night event and have people tune in. And speaking of the NBA, the Indiana Pacers in action last night. It was good Pacers last night. Yes, at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, they beat the Utah Jazz last night. David Letterman in attendance. Uh, Pacers get the 134-118 win over the Jazz as... The Pacers outscored Utah by 13 in the fourth quarter uh, to come away with the win. And a lot of a lot of balance on the team last night. Miles Turner had 22. Benedict Matherin also with 22. Aaron Neesmith off the bench leading all scorers uh, in this one for the Pacers with 24 points. So a good performance by Indiana. Again, Jekyll and Hyde, but 5-3 and three on the season. And they played well at home so far. Three guys off the bench with double digits. You mentioned Naismith and Buddy Heald with 10. Jalen Smith with 16 points. Good balanced effort by the Pacers yesterday. And, of course, their next game, I'm sure they will look absolutely terrible. 
Yeah, it's, it's just how it's gone. That is exactly how it's it's I mean, gone. The Jazz are a team you should beat up on anyway, but we'll see how they can do coming up on Sunday at Philly. They actually have back-to-back games coming up in Philly, Sunday and Tuesday. Uh, meanwhile, Matt Ulrich, who is a reserve offensive lineman who played two seasons for the Colts, including the Super Bowl champion team, uh, in 2006, has uh, died at 41, according to Colts owner Jim Ursay. Cause of death not announced. Damn. And just 40, just just 40 years old. Father of four. Uh, that's really tough. Yeah, unfortunate news. And Butler Athletic Director Barry Collier has announced he is stepping down. A, a huge shift. I mean, he has been a part of everything for the Butler program for quite some time and the, the the impact that he had on the program. I mean, yes, there was Tony Hinkle and Bobby Plump way back in the day, but the, the modern era Butler basketball is really because of Barry Collier. Now, he coached Butler from 1989 to 2000. Uh, then Nebraska, I think. Yeah, went to Nebraska for like a hot second, uh, then came back. Uh, as the AD, as the dogs went from the Horizon League to the Atlantic 10 to the Big East. So, uh, done a lot for Butler Athletics. And, and now Butler needs that next person um, to kind of get them back on track in the Big East, at least in basketball. He really laid the groundwork for Brad Stevens to come in and take the program to the next level. They went to multiple NCAA tournaments under Collier. And particularly late in his final four seasons, three NCAA tournament appearances in NIT. And he was really the foundation that Brad Stevens was able to build upon. But since the uh, departure, he had a great run there with, uh, and he was making banger hire after banger hire from Thad Mata to Chris Holtman to Brad Stevens. And it was just rolling. And since then it's been a struggle. And but, Todd Licklider as well. True. Um, and, and for Collier, I, th- I think the the biggest thing that he did, I mean, he hired Brad Stevens. That was his first yes uh, coaching hire as athletic director. So he he built the groundwork for the program as a coach, then came back as an AD and, and took it to the next level, without a doubt. So uh, just a, a great run, and now they're trying to figure things out uh, with Thad Mata again, 2.0, and, and Butler did get a win in their season opener, but obviously uh, this will have a big impact on Butler moving forward. And maybe whoever the next athletic director is can find something that works on the Butler side of things in terms of basketball. So a huge move there. And then uh, one note on the Michigan scandal I want to get to that I find comical. Uh, Michigan sent a warning uh, to the Big Ten and it's a letter. Again, we could have something come down today. Yeah, we said that yesterday. Said that yesterday, Monday. We'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, But they said the conference should act cautiously when setting precedent given the reality that in-person scouting, collusion among opponents, and other questionable practices may well be far more prevalent than believed. So, in a weird roundabout way, an admission of guilt? (laughs) Well, it still goes, oh yeah, it's it's the, well, everybody else is doing a defense. You're the one that got caught. You're the one that had, has gone further than anybody else in terms of doing this. Yet your defense, your defense can't be everybody else's doing. You go into a court of law, and if you get caught, let's say vandalizing something, or stealing, or breaking it, whatever, and your, your defense can't be well. Everybody else is doing it. I'm just the one that's not a good defense. 
If that is your defense, you should fire your defense attorney. Yeah. That, that can't be your defense. Well, everybody else is doing it. No, it's not an adequate defense. Uh, text rolling in at 46862 talking about the NBA draft. Uh, CK, great. Now we might have the opportunity to see guys wearing the wrong hats two nights in a row. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> they got to flip multiple hats. Yep, absolutely. Or even putting the hat on that they know they're, they're never going like, to Like Bilal Koulibaly uh, wearing a Pacers hat knowing that the pick yeah, was that traded. Was not gonna... he, he never wore a Pacers uniform. Yeah. So confusing. Yeah, the draft night is, at the very least, maybe they can make some better sense out of what goes on on draft night. <laughs> Breaking it up within two days. Uh, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. And again, you can text Teddy Bear to 46862 and be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the comments in Toledo tomorrow night at the Coliseum, 8 o'clock, puck drop, Hayes, Walleye, Teddy Bear toss night. So just text Teddy Bear to 46862. All right, Matt Painter, yesterday was the early signing period, and IU able to uh, get uh, Liam McNeely, their their only their only prospect, uh, signed for currently. the class of 2024, the five-star forward from Montverde Academy. Uh, he signed also, of note, locally, Jordan Poole of Snyder, signed with Purdue Women's Basketball in their program. But Matt Painter and the Boilers on the men's basketball side this is his best class since 2007. Obviously, the baby boilers back then with Etwan Moore, Jawan Johnson, Robbie Hummel, and Scott Martin, who later transferred to Notre Dame. Uh, but this class includes a, a five-star guy and Kanan Catchings, who was at Brownsburg and then now playing for Overtime Elite. It's the number nine class per 24-7 sports. Painter hasn't had a recruiting uh win really like this in quite some time. I mean, you got to remember, there are rumors of catchings going elsewhere for months. Uh, and then that kind of went quiet, I feel like, over, what, the summer? It was really the spring that this seemed to ramp up, but nothing really happened there. So Matt Painter has done a lot here, and this is a huge step forward for Purdue, because it's one thing to develop players, and Matt Painter's very good at doing that, you know, come their junior year, or even their senior year, it's another to start off with a lot more talent from the get-go. It's an impressive class and, and how complete it is. It, it checks all the boxes around the the entire court. You look at Cannon Catchings and potentially could be a dude that's not at Purdue for three years. I mean, is I don't know if he's a one-and-done, probably maybe a two-and-done, I think. But you look, you got size with Catchings and Raleigh Burgess, Who's just a touch under seven foot? I think he's like six ten officially. Uh-huh. And then you have uh, the big guy Daniel Jacobson that you just had commit seven foot three. So you have six nine, six ten, seven three with three of those guys. Plus you have a, a, a scoring machine from Brownstown Central in Southern Indiana and Jack Benner, a guy who broke a backboard in high school basketball last year. Yes. Uh, and then C.J. Cox, who is kind of an under the radar shooting guard out of Massachusetts. So uh, a five man class. So, again, strength in numbers, but also strength at the top with uh, Kane and Catchings. This is something Painter's not been able to do, and obviously he's done a great job of building the program, but now we're starting to see consistency again, and can Purdue take that next step, whether it is this, this year or in the near future, because he's done a good job evaluating talent. I mean, not just the impact of this class potentially you look at going all the way back to to 07 with the baby boilers as you mentioned 
you look at the highest ranked class for Purdue going back a decade, and it's not even in the top 30. And for them to have this impact, and even 2017, they had a five-man class that was ranked 34th in the country. Five-man class in 2014, 33rd in the country. So it's not just uh, the the volume that's 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 big here. They've had big classes that haven't ranked this high. But you look at this, and you could put a, a reasonably a good starting five on the floor, potentially, in a couple of years with these five guys. And they, they check all the boxes. I mean, C.J. Cox is a is a really good shooting guard, underrated. You look at Jack Benter who can play either guard position. You can play on ball or off ball. And then you have a couple big wings in Burgess and Catchings. And then you have a true center in Daniel Jacobson. It's, uh, it's a really good, solid class. You have at least one NBA prospect in there in Catchings. You have your homegrown type guy in Benter. You have a a guy out of Milton Academy with CJ Cox that maybe is not getting the amount of offers, but just fits the Purdue mold. That's going to come in and just be that annoying guy that nobody wants to play against over the next three, four years. And then length and size. And uh, it's a complete class for Purdue. You never bat a thousand with these guys. You mentioned baby boilers. You can mention the bowel movement that was for Indiana (laughs) and it never turns out as good as it looks. But even if, if Purdue can hit on, let's say, four of the, these five, it bodes really well for the Boilermakers going forward. Well, and you, you look at Painter, and again, his reputation is is beyond the Big Ten now, and it has been for several years. Really, I, I would say since the devastating loss to Virginia in the Elite Eight, I mean, that's going back, what, five years now? Um, four or five years. Purdue... Is is had a national reputation as far as Matt Painter as far as building a program, but not necessarily going out and, and recruiting the elite of the elites. Now, the comparison I'm going to make is not not exactly fair in the sense that Gonzaga and Mark View are in a much smaller conference and they they dominate their conference. But you look at Matt Painter and, and the question mark for him as well. Okay, that's great. They have all this regular season success and now they're starting to get high seeds in the NCAA tournament, but Oh, it doesn't matter. They can't do anything in March. And to be fair, Gonzaga had that reputation for quite some time. Fair or unfair, because they had had success prior to Mark Few being there. And now that they've made a Final Four and a National Championship game, like obviously, I'm sure Mark Few wants that championship, and you would think it will come eventually. They're kind of expected to be down this year. But is Painter kind of on that same boat, where nationally they have a reputation but because they haven't done you know, as much in March as not only the fan base, but I think what experts would predict in a lot of... I mean, I don't know if you've seen Final Four picks, but across the board Perennial on some sites, pick it, Purdue is, the Final is Four. all over the board. Yeah. Which is... I mean, yeah. The expectations they, they, are there. Have they earned the expectation? Yes. It's just coming through. But for Matt Painter, this feels like now they've had success outside of the Big Ten and drawn a national profile, especially with the wins they've had the last couple of years in the non-conference. I mean, like beating a Duke and Gonzaga like they did last year, for example. Um, now, it seems this is carrying over, I would think, in recruiting. Again, he's still getting guys to fit the program. I feel like Mark View does that same thing. He can go out and, and sign elite guys. But is this maybe that next step where 
Purdue is is able to recruit at a higher level based on success. And I get it. They're in the Big Ten, so it's a lot easier to get to that point facilities-wise and, and just the competition level. But is this that next step now that Painter can make consistently? Because, again, we're talking about this because it's the first time since 2007 they've had uh, you know a top class. That's a long time. But you look at all the success they've had in between. Now, though, it feels like they're taking that next step as far as recruiting at a higher level year in and year out. It's tough to say because it's just one year, but it, it is a year, too, that, 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 that benefited Purdue in the sense that they're going to have a lot of open scholarships at the end of this year. They're going to graduate a lot uh, of talent. And, and I think the biggest thing for me out of this is the loss to Fairleigh Dickinson, while devastating and, in a sense, hilarious, if you're not a Purdue fan, didn't impact Purdue on the recruiting trail. It was still able to land its best class in over 15 years, despite the terrible ending to the season last year. If this was a class that was committed prior to that collapse and fell apart, you could see that. But this is a top 10 class that stayed together, and and he added to it with Daniel Jacobson since that loss. And I think that's what the most impressive thing is, is these guys are buying in, maybe not necessarily to the hype as much as they are to Purdue. Because they would add an easy opportunity to say, I'm going elsewhere, particularly someone like Catchings, who had a veritable who's who pursuing him. I mean, Purdue doesn't sign many five stars, so it's a big deal right. when, they, when they do. Someone texting in at 46862, uh, CK, this class for Purdue isn't done yet. Another one of Glenn Robinson's sons is a heavy lean to Purdue in the class as well. So an, another player uh, Giacari Harris. Uh, Glenn Robinson the third went to Michigan. Yes, that's what I thought. So uh, another another guy, the, the combo guard, who's a four star, uh, who could be in addition to this. So we'll see. Uh, for Purdue though, and, and for Painter, this to me feels like that next step. He's taking that next step, and to constantly feel like he's reinventing himself during his time at Purdue. I think it's the the biggest strength. He can have whether it's, you know, early on it was just getting the program back on solid footing, getting to the tournament. Then you had the baby boilers come in and really change the trajectory. A couple of down years, and then he just found a way to to be the go to school for big men, especially guys over seven feet tall. And he got another seven footer. Now he did lose out on a seven footer as well. Uh, Matt Painter losing out on a seven six guy who's going to <laughs> Florida. I don't know if you've seen the highlights, but he's seven six. Olivier Rio, uh, I believe I'm saying that correct, uh, committed to Florida, 147th nationally in the 2024 class. Guinness World Record for tallest teenager. Some of his highlights mm. are hilarious because he can just like catch the ball under the rim and throw it up like he doesn't even have to jump. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, huh. can't get all the seven footers. I painter. can't. I can't. I can't imagine being seven six. Like man, that would be terrible in terms of trying to just live your everyday life. But when you look at Purdue, and it, it, it brings a lot of optimism because you could have easily seen with the impact and the, the fallout from that loss in the tournament to impact things negatively on the existing roster, but everybody was still locked in, right? Nobody left that, that could leave. And then you bring in this class. So I think credit needs to go to Matt Painter 
A, for handling every single question that's come come to him about losing to a 16 seed in the tournament. He's never shied away from talking about it, which is a phenomenal approach to it. And two, for keeping the continuity within the roster and now adding to the program. That he has not allowed that loss to impact Purdue long term on or off the court so far. And I think it would have been easy to fall into that. It could have been easy for guys to fall off in this class to fall. It did not happen. And Matt Painter is needs all the credit in the world for it. Another text rolling in at four six eight six two. CK, I've never seen Painter play twelve as in 12, 12 guys on the rotation. I don't think he has a red shirt this year. I think Painter is going all in for the Natty this year, especially with depth. And that that's the thing. Purdue has so much depth on this roster right now. Then you add in these guys coming in who will outside of catchings, there's really no pressure on them to to play and contribute immediately. I mean, yes, you're gonna lose Zach Eady. That's a given. But you're not losing a whole lot after that. Lance Jones as well. But Well, it's gonna be tough. I'll I'll just put this out there. In today's world Transfer of, portal tra- of transfers. Not everybody's going to get the minutes that they want. I mean, everybody can say they're buying it. Somebody's going to get cut in terms of, of their, their minutes cut. I don't see Purdue going all the way through the season with 12 deep. It's just not going to happen. I could see 10 deep. I could see 11. But I just, that's a lot of guys for 40 minutes of basketball to get yeah, in. Yeah. And inevitably, is. at the end of the season, regardless of what Purdue does, there's going to be one or two people that say, I should have played more on this team. Inevitably, that's going to happen. And inevitably, there's, again... They're going to leave. There are people who are <laughs> doubters. Well, yeah. CK, second round exit. I, I mean, look, Maybe. the regular season does not matter this year for Purdue as long as they take care of business. It's all about what happens in March. And we'll continue and that's where to they're say at. that on nauseam in March. But you have to, you have to give pre- credit to Purdue and Matt Painter because they have not allowed that terrible night in March to impact them over the preceding weeks and months is they've moved on as a program. We won't let them forget it. And I get it. And, and IU fans won't and college basketball at large won't, but Purdue has moved past fairly Dickinson, both with this team and with the team, with the, with the recruiting class they signed yesterday. Uh, one other text to get to CK who cares about the big 10 championship Painter has depth to rest some guys and go into the tourney not as banged up. You never know with injuries. Yeah. You never true. know. If Purdue stays healthy, yes, they are a Final Four team, but they still have to prove it. But as of right now, Purdue is not being impacted one iota by that loss in March. And that's a positive if you're a Purdue fan. Matt Painter has not allowed that loss to define his program from then to now. And um, it's been very impressive. But Purdue has to meet the expectations this year set upon them. I know people. some people will say, well, they have to at least get to the Sweet 16. I think this team, if it doesn't get to the Final Four, is a disappointment. Last year was a change in expectations midseason that I, I don't think was necessarily fair. Because again, remember the expectation of the start. Now we was were really, not, yes, we were really high in the Purdue team. Last we were year. higher than most people but were. We were not obviously thinking they would be at the level that they were as far as earning one seed, winning the Big Ten regular season and tournament championship, and then you know going into March, going into the NCAA tournament, being a potential Final Four contender. 
Now, we just thought this is a team that will make the tournament and could finish top four in the Big Ten. They're kind of underrated going in. Um, now, I think this year, the obviously, the expectations have changed, and it's how they adapt to that. So far, so good, but super early. Well, I think the big thing is 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 for Purdue is last year, I don't think they were ready for mm-hmm. that pressure of being number one and when being one of the top. It was a very... A team still with some maturity issues and not like behavior. I'm just saying just young dudes, particularly in that backcourt, right? With two true freshmen. They were ahead of schedule last year. This is the team that when you look at them and there are no excuses on this roster. If it stays healthy, nothing drastic happens in that regard. There is no excuses for this Purdue team. Last year, I just feel like they were one year ahead. Yes. And now with the majority of that team back, it is imperative that this team, to fulfill expectations, makes a Final Four. You cannot sugarcoat it with me to say, well, they got to the Sweet 16, they got to the Elite Eight, they won the Big Ten, they won the Big Ten Tournament. None of the, You have to get to a Final Four to meet the expectations that I, and when you read around the country from pundits, the nation has set for them. They are expected to be a Final Four team. Nobody expected them at the start of last year to be a Final Four team. Those expectations came into view with their success and ascending to number one and all that. But from the jump this year, they are expected to be that team. Coming up on the other side, Jack Swarbrick had some interesting comments on Marcus Freeman football facilities and about the college football playoff future. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and you with us on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. And uh, we're giving away a four-pack of tickets See the Comets and the Walleye coming up tomorrow night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 8 o'clock. Teddy Bear Toss Night as well. So if you want to win a four-pack of tickets for tomorrow night's game, just text Teddy Bear to 46862. Again, Teddy Bear, the uh, code words to 46862. And we'll pick a winner at the end of the show. The Sports Rush will also have a four-pack of tickets to give away later this afternoon. So... Yeah, come on. Chances to win and see the comments coming up tomorrow night. And you can throw stuff onto the ice. How often can you (laughs) throw stuff onto the ice legally? I sent that that story to you a couple weeks ago. The Grand Rapids Griffins. Yes. Of the AHL, I want to say is where Grand Rapids is. So they had, you know, they I think the comments still do it too. The little rubber pucks you can buy for when toss the puck and try to throw it in the trash can or whatever on the ice Uh, during intermission is when you're supposed to throw it. But apparently. Uh, I don't know if it was after a goal or something late in the game, but a couple fans threw the pucks out on the ice and they got a delay of game penalty and then gave up a lo- the the winning goal for the opposition. So you can't do that, but you sure as hell can throw teddy bears on the ice on Friday night. So Texas to 46862. Uh, also, speaking of the comments, uh, the debut of the Comet Podcast on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM coming up Saturday morning. It'll be Saturday mornings each and every week, 7 a.m. here on The Fan. and So right before you can hear us. On Saturday morning? Yeah, at 8 o'clock is our our IndyCar (laughs) podcast is on. Yes, a new track record at 8. 
You were uh, like, talking I'm not coming in on Saturday. Yeah, what are you like, about? Hang on, what? Uh, talking sports at nine, Fighting Irish preview at ten. So, and then before that, uh, best of the sports rush at six thirty. So from six thirty to ten thirty, uh, local programming here on thirteen eighty the fan every Saturday, and it kicks off this Saturday again. The Comet Podcast first episode, and Shane Alberani, the voice of the K's, uh, brings you that every week, and he'll be joined. I know one other than the head coach, Jesse Kalicki, uh, for this first episode. So tune into that, 7 o'clock a.m. in the morning, or I'm sure you can download it as yes, well. Yes, you can, you can download the episode already, but we'll, yes. we'll play it on the radio Excellent. as well. Uh, someone texting, any Purdue-Fort Wayne tickets left? Uh, not from us, but tickets are available at the box office. So, so it'll be a, uh, a fun night tonight in the suite. For those who won that, those tickets, but with us and Brett Rump and being able to watch the Mastodons in their home opener tonight against Andrews, fresh off a win at DePaul on Tuesday. And seven o'clock tip time in that one at the Coliseum, and you can hear it here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Meanwhile, up in South Bend, outgoing Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick was interviewed on the Wake Up the Echoes show. Interesting comments that he had to say about the program couple of the key highlights he said in regards to Marcus Freeman, we need to win a national championship and then went on to say that uh, he believes they have the right head coach, which duh, he hired Marcus Freeman. So what else, what else is he supposed to say? Right. He's not going to backtrack now, especially as he's going out because that's kind of going to be part of his legacy. As far as if their Freeman hire works out, that'll be kind of his, his final master stroke. Right. Uh, If it doesn't, (laughs) then it's going to be a, an, another thing uh, for the incoming AD to try to fix. Also, in regards to football facilities and improving those, he said there's a plan to address the football operations center next. So again, they're constantly working on that aspect of the sport. And the one thing that I think was perhaps the most controversial, and I know you've had this take, and I've completely come around, based on the comments that he made in regards to the future of the college football playoff. Remember, It'll be four teams coming up this January. Then uh, the following year, it will be 12 teams. Expansion. Now, Notre Dame, in order to get a spot, decided to sacrifice the ability to have a first-round bye. They wanted to be able to host a home game in the first round. So the highest seed they can be is a five seed. They they can't be one of those top four protected seeds to get a first-round bye. Jack Swarbrick uh, said that in regards to this, and this is something they were for, uh-huh. they were willing to give that up. Yes. Now, his comments, though, were not a good selling job for what uh, would come next if that were to happen and how this would play out for Notre Dame. So Swarbrick, talking about the 12-team playoff, um, he, he said, he said, look, look at these first-round matchups. These are going to be extraordinary. Uh, and then as far as the possibility of hosting a, a, a game, it will be an interesting time of year to host. Campus will be closing, and the weather will be challenging, but I think it'll be a great football environment. <laughs> he's, he's, he's delusional. Quite the sell job. Uh, you got to remember, this is the same Notre Dame program, that, and he talks about this in the same interview earlier, where uh, opposing ADs would, would come to him and say, hey, thanks for being a great host, you know, when, when teams would come to Notre Dame and play. And he said, well, we got to find a way to make that better. And they obviously tried to do their part for the Ohio State game, for example, and try to limit 
tickets getting in the hands of opposing fans as best they could. I think they succeeded in that aspect for that game. It was a big shift from, you know, the Georgia games in, in recent past, the Cincinnati game as well a couple of years ago where it seemed like there was a sea of red all around the stadium. Wasn't as bad for the Ohio State game. So you have students going away with campus closing. You have bad weather. In fact, he even said... Uh, this is something about 12 inches yes. of snow, didn't he? Yeah, he said, give me 12 inches of snow. That's perfect. All Why? Right, outdoor college football playoff game. Why? Why Why do you think that's a benefit to your team? Because go through the roster. Find me how many people from Texas and Georgia and Florida and California. There's this, I don't understand this, this perceived advantage that Notre Dame or Michigan or Ohio State would have in the weather. Is... I need some bona fide proof that Notre Dame is a better football team in 12 inches of snow than Georgia. Because the majority of your players come from warm locales. They don't want to play in a foot of snow just as much as Michigan, USC, Georgia, and Alabama don't want to play in a foot of snow. It's this weird old person thinking it's it goes back to and i always scoff at bears football my dad and i always talk about bears football and <laughs> and how oh, it's it's it, it, the nfc north when it's sub-zero temperatures and nobody wants to play in that it's i don't understand there's no there's no certified proof that the chicago bears are better football team in quote-unquote bear weather and it goes to the same thing with notre dame there is no tangible proof that notre dame is a better football team in cold-ass weather in South Bend in January, and how that's going to be some great advantage. Well, this would be mid-December, but yes. Uh, Here's the thing. Maybe there was an advantage 50 years ago. There's clearly not anymore. And you're recruiting nationally. Yeah, this this is the same program that on Thanksgiving weekend is always on the road in California, whether they're playing Stanford or USC. Exactly. So you're telling me Thanksgiving weekend, then you fast-forward, let's see, one week after that, you have... The conference championship games in the week after you have Army Navy, then the following week. So mid December, you know, right around December 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 18th, somewhere around then, Notre Dame, if they make the college football playoff, would be hosting a home playoff game a week, relatively, uh, you know, a week to 10 days before Christmas at Notre Dame Stadium. And again, students and on break. Two, yeah, students aren't going to be there. And, and Notre Dame is a national university with, I'm sure, Students from all 50 states and various countries, like it, it's going to ruin the experience then because you're not going to have a, a regular student section. Um, quite frankly, the, the, the annoying students, when they throw at the last home game, they throw marshmallows. Like they, be, like they throw uh, snowballs if there's snow. I'm going to deal with that. Not to sound like, like a curmudgeon or whatever, but it, the, the, don't get me started on that stupid tradition of throwing marshmallows. Like It's so <laughs> stupid. I've watched it multiple times at Notre Dame in the press box where all the kids are trying to do is throw them as far as they can onto the field. Like, it's so stupid. Anyway, you, I don't get this archaic thinking about how it's some sort of advantage for Notre Dame to play. You know what's an advantage? Getting a first round bye and not having to play and having another week to rest and recoup from a rigorous regular season and prep for your future opponent. So they're going to be playing, so I looked up the, the exact dates here. So they're going to be playing a, a first-round home game. There is a game on Friday, so a night game. Friday, December 20th, will be one game. And then on Saturday, December 21st, there will be three games. The 
you know, a noon, a 3.30, and an evening. You know, typical college football schedule. So they're going to play either a night game in December. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, because who determines how this works? Is it going to be, you know, the college football playoff committee and the TV networks? Or is Notre Dame going to be like, no, we want uh, the, the early game so it's not, you know, eight degrees for the fans in the stadium? I would say the playoff should be you'll play when we tell you you're playing. That would be my thing. I, I would hope the playoff doesn't cater to Notre Dame on when they want to play and just be like, you're going to play when we tell you. Yeah, well, I mean, Notre Dame basically gave in to this aspect, and you could, of course, fix all this by just joining the Big Ten and getting it over with. Right. They, they refused to do that for, in my opinion, really no reason anymore because the TV money is just too great in the Big Ten and other conferences that unless Notre Dame can somehow pull off a $75 million a year TV deal from NBC, uh, which I'd be shocked if they get, then it's it's not really worth it to keep doing what they're doing financially. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, Jack Swarbrick, make no mistake, has done a lot of tremendous done things a great job. at Notre Dame. I mean, okay. he, he turned around the football program. It was essentially, you know, stuck in mediocrity for years. And yes, they'd have one good year followed by, you know, two or three down ones and a coach getting fired, seemingly rinse, repeat for the previous three, four head coaches, but uh, post Lou Holtz, but he hired Brian Kelly. That was the right move at the time to build the program. And now Marcus Freeman, you know, can he be that guy? Obviously it's too early to tell. I think we'll have a clear picture at least after next season, but this seems like a big whiff when you look at it. And I've come around because I thought, Hey, you host a home playoff game. What more could you want? Right? Correct. Not for Notre Dame, a team that has perhaps one of the most welcoming Fan environments for, oh, totally. for opposing fans in all of college football. It is not an intimidating environment at Notre Dame Stadium to play in. Uh, Texter call me a curmudgeon. Probably for the marshmallow thing. I totally am. I totally am. <laughs> I own that 100%. I, I've covered Notre Dame multiple years when I was at the New Sentinel. I've been to plenty of home games. It, it is not an intimidating environment whatsoever. It can be loud sometimes when the people that just sit there with their hands on their their on their laps actually get up yeah staying up and yell and, and and do something but it's mostly a um how do i say this nicely a, a elitist crowd uh particularly in the lower bowl that they've always had the tickets and their movers and shakers that just aren't uh real raucous fans which you need to be a intimidating environment but i i it is at some point it may be next year it could be 20 years from now where Notre Dame, it's going to bite Notre Dame in the ass when they are a 11-1, 12-0 team and they deserve a top four spot in the playoff and they don't get one. And then they lose. Because let's say they have to play, a, it's a five versus, what would it be? 11? 5-12? Yeah, 5-12. So if you have a 5-12 matchup and that 12 team is, let's say, I don't know, who would be the 12 team this year? Let's say it's uh, Oklahoma State. Um, and come in. Like, it's a very losable game for Notre Dame. I just, I, I don't understand this concept of it's going to be an intimidating environment. There's going to be no students there. It's going to be cold as hell. And your players are going to be just as uncomfortable as the team opposite you on the other sideline. Uh, someone texting in at 46862 on this. So would it be better for Notre Dame to play away and not home? No, it'd be better for Notre Dame to just join a conference so they don't have to deal with this charade of 
acting like, oh, yeah, we love not being able to get a first round by because that means we'll likely, again, likely get an on-campus home game. It, it, it There's makes... no guarantee of an on-campus home game. Correct. They just think, uh, like, yes, would it be better for Notre Dame? Uh, perhaps, yes, because... I no, the better thing is to get the bye. If yeah. you can get the bye, you get the bye. So you just have to play one join less the Big game. Ten, get the bye, and, and move and on. And here's with what it. could hurt: even if you don't, even if you don't lose that game, let's say Notre Dame is an undefeated team, has to be the five seed. They have to win what four games to win the national championship? Yeah. And what if they have? Why to make keep, it harder? For why yourself? make it harder? As opposed to three, you have to win four. You have to win four grinding against good opponent, top twelve teams in the country. So look at it that way is let's say Notre Dame gets through and they get to the semifinals and they get to the finals and it's like, man, Notre Dame's had a rigorous schedule. They've had to go through these four weeks or four games or three games to get here and blah, blah, blah. That's going to be a narrative. When it could have been, they had to win two games to get the national championship. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I have always been of the thought up until, what, last summer when the the Big Ten, or actually this summer, when the Big Ten expanded and and their TV deal. I've always been in the thought, yeah, Notre Dame should stay independent as long as they can, as long as it benefits them. It no longer benefits them anymore. In fact, it's it's more of a detriment for them competitively for football. It's a pride thing. Most of your natural rivals now in the Big Ten. Doing something because that's the that's the way it's always been done is not a good excuse to keep doing something. Okay, because you talk to the majority of Notre Dame fans who believe in remaining independent. It's it's primarily because it's always been that way. So, and I would venture to guess that within the fan base, younger fans wouldn't really care. No, I don't think. I, quite frankly, if you put the Notre Dame in the Big Ten tomorrow, you kind of get excited. You, you tell me I Notre Dame can can guarantee uh, protected rivalry games with Michigan, Purdue, and Purdue and USC every year. Sign me up, or even throw in Michigan State too while we're at it. I and mean, here's the thing too, you know that, that Jack Swarbrick is just refusing to, to to recognize is Notre Dame is a is a global brand, but it's a national brand. So no matter where you play your playoff game, there's going to be a considerable amount of Notre Dame fans there. I I would argue that Notre Dame could have a better crowd, pro Notre Dame crowd at a quote unquote neutral site than at Notre Dame Stadium in December, because if if that's a school that that uh, that hasn't been to Notre Dame in quite some time or something, That those are going to be tickets that that team is going to want to get. And I would imagine, Caleb, is when you host a college football playoff ev- game, this, the tickets aren't going to be as lopsided for the home team. Like, you're yeah. not just getting an allotment of, what, 3,000 tickets you're giving to the opposing team. I uh, can imagine that's about bigger. like five, I think. I can imagine get. that will be bigger. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that, that fans, if they have the opportunity to go to Notre Dame Stadium as an opposing fan, seem to do that. I just think like, I, I said my piece, it's just stupid, and it's going to bite Notre Dame. Whether they even win that game or not on campus, that is an absolute grind to win a 12-team playoff, and you're playing an extra game for no reason if you're a top-four team in the country. Several texts rolling in. Uh, CK, are they hanging on to being independent purely for history? At this point, yeah, yes. it feels like it. I yes. don't know what else to say. You there's cannot there's give no me, reason to keep doing what they're doing. You cannot when it, financially, give me a there's, there's no why. incentive. No like, there's incentive. There's no incentive to keep doing what they're doing. 
because they're the only money, doing it because they've done it that way forever. And as long as they can keep doing it that way, they will. But the money is turned you get more money them. in the Big Ten. It Correct. used to be for a long time. Notre Dame was was in control because it was making buku money. Big, Rutgers is making more money than Notre Dame. Yep. Okay, so that's not an excuse anymore. Notre Dame's just doing it because it's always been that way. And you have the purest, you have the older demographic of people that are still in control and all this, that, that, that's the way it's always been. That's not a good reason to keep doing something. And Pete Bavacqua, who comes in from NBC Sports, he'll be the new AD in 2024, sometime in Q1 of next year. He will have that challenge. And I think he can make the decision to help Notre Dame or it can keep things the same. Couple, I think, I couple, real quick, Yeah, I think the reason why Notre Dame hasn't done it yet is they're terrified of the of the of a certain amount of fans that hold that independence and safety. They're afraid of being the guy that made the move to join a conference. That's what I really I think you get Jack Swarbrick and and the new AD alone and get a couple beers and says, "Yeah, the advantages are there, but they just don't want to be that dude. They don't want to be the guy where Notre Dame goes against a a century of tradition or whatever and join a conference. Well, now's as good of a time as any to, to make that move. A couple other texts. Joining the Big Ten, they won't make the top four. Um, they could. Here's the thing. Notre Dame goes 12, uh, 12 and 2. They go 10 and 2 under the new college football playoff yeah, format. They're in. they're in. It's pretty much a lock to be a top 12 team. Someone else asking uh, 46862, how long is the deal for Notre Dame in the playoffs? Well, the, the 12 team format is locked in contractually in 2024 and 2025. So it's just for currently two years that Look, Notre we'll Dame see has more agreed. expansion. Let's not get right. Ourselves. But I think he's saying how, how long is the deal for Notre Dame to agree to that deal where they surrender a top four spot, which I don't know. And again, Maybe they're, they're expanding earlier because the earliest it was supposed to be before is 2026. Correct. So all this to say, Jack Swarbrick uh, could not be more wrong about this home playoff game and the supposed advantages he thinks it will bring the university. I simply don't see it. You know what's an advantage? Getting over $80 million a year in a TV deal by joining the Big Ten. And playing less games to reach your goal. If your goal is to win a national title, you want to play the least amount of games to get into that position. Let alone the fact that... uh, Nine conference games plus three non-conference. You can still mix in, you know, those max schools or whoever you want to play at home to start the year. Then one marquee opponent, and then the Big Ten slate. Easy work. I, I think, just I, I don't get what they're doing here. They're delaying the inevitable, in my opinion. It's I I really think it's it's tradition. It's we don't want to. I don't want to be the person that that ha- It's going to happen eventually, but they just don't want to be that guy because that would be their legacy whoever the ad is when notre dame joins a conference that will be their legacy and let they alone don't all the that. travel costs they'll say by joining the big 10 i mean you're looking at i'm not even talking about football football can afford it i'm talking yeah. about every other sport every other that's got to go all over the place but yeah i think that's the biggest thing is the ad the board of Re- all of them don't want to be in their jobs when Notre Dame makes that plunge because that's what they will be remembered for. I will applaud them, but a certain amount of people won't. Uh, One other thing I want to get to before we wrap up this hour, Uh, the Cubs really could go after Shohei Otani. The Cubs are serious contenders for Otani at a report coming out of the Major League Baseball General Manager's meetings 
uh, happening this week in Scottsdale, Arizona. Dodgers reportedly the favorites. The Cubs have been the most aggressive team. You got to remember, this is Chicago who just hired Craig Council away from Milwaukee in a, a blockbuster move that I think caught everyone off guard. A team that was 10 games below 500 in June nearly made the wild card before they faded down the stretch. This is a team that the ownership has is, is shown, at least so far this offseason, they're willing to spend the money. Now they could re-sign Bellinger. Stroman is likely gone, but this could be the the hallmark move of the offseason. And again, Otani's not going to be able to pitch for a full year. But you got to remember, it's not just about wins on the field. It's about selling sponsorships. It's about selling tickets, partnerships. Otani brings in a lot more revenue if the Cubs make that move, even though they're going to have to have a $500 million contract. Money's going to have to talk here because it's going to be tough to lure Shohei Otani off the West Coast, in my opinion. I yes. still think the Dodgers, it makes a lot of sense with the um, you know the Asian-American community out there, and it's easier for uh, easy access from Japan, you know, obviously. And I think he's just comfortable out there. He's uncomfortable with the Angels. I think he's not against making a move to the Midwest, but I think if the Dodgers come with big money, he will stay on the West Coast. But the Cubs at least are saying all the right things. They're doing all the right things in terms of the manager, in terms of being serious, in terms of competing. I just wonder letting Marcus Stroman go. He still comes down to starting pitching. And, and, the, and the Cubs had a decent one-two starter last year for the majority of the season, but you already have let one of those pieces go. It still comes down to starting pitching or pitching in general, and, and the Cubs are going to have to make some upgrades there. And as you mentioned, you can't rely on Otani to pitch next year. He can't. Uh, someone texting in at 46862. The Cubs should go get Kevin Kiermeyer and really shore up their outfield defense. Kevin Kiermeyer is a tremendous outfielder. Multi-time gold glove. Yes, but you're, you do sacrifice offensively, offensively to have him out there. Uh, you, you want some... You need to make up for that production elsewhere if you have a center fielder like Kiermaier. He can get you a key hit there, here and there. He can he can hit home runs here and there, but he's not a power guy, and that's a concerted effort that you need to take a a, a certain commitment to say, hey, we're going to sacrifice pop and center for a dude that can go from gap to gap as well as anybody in baseball. I love Kevin Kiermaier. I think he's a great player. He's made millions of dollars because of the outfielder that he is. But is he a complete outfielder in the sense that he brings a lot to the table offensively? No, not no, he's not. And if the Cubs can make up for that production elsewhere, then it makes sense. If they can't, then it's tough to bring him in. Coming up on the other side, Matt Painter's under tremendous pressure to win now. But how could that change if Purdue starts reeling in more consistent top recruiting classes? We'll get to that next as we kick off hour number two. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Thursday on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, thanks for being with us. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. And don't forget, you can text Teddy Bear to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the comments. And the walleye tomorrow night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 8 o'clock for Teddy Bear Toss Night. Again, text Teddy Bear to 46862, and you'll be in the running for a four-pack of tickets to see the K's coming up tomorrow night. Coming up this hour on the show, Matt Painter's under pressure now. How will that change with this recruiting class coming in? Plus, 
The Bears facing a must-win game tonight. Yes, the lowly Bears and the Carolina Panthers. Not because the Bears need to beat one of the worst teams in the NFL. There are real implications on the line. We'll get to that. And the NCAA updates their gambling policy. A move that will help some but not all implicated in a scandal over the summer. And before we leave you, a bear uh, did something, uh, stole from a family that, well, I'd be pretty upset too. This happened in Florida. Florida bears have been on one seemingly the past few weeks. Just being medicis as we close in on hibernation season. And, and, and these are not the Solar Bears, the hockey team the Orlando in Orlando, Bears. which I think one of the greatest minor league nicknames in sports. I, it fits perfectly, particularly with the bear activity we have going on. Yes. All right. So Purdue, again, coming off their, their top recruiting class for Matt Painter since 2007 in the Baby Boilers. Uh, Purdue ranked number ninth. It's the first top 10 class he's signed uh, since then. So this is a level of recruiting success Purdue has not had in over 15 years. Now, the Baby Boilers, they are a breakout success as freshmen. Now, a Robbie Hummel injury uh, during his junior year back in 2010 limited Purdue's chances at a Final Four run that year. Purdue was one of the best teams in the country. They were ranked third at the time he went down with that ACL injury against Minnesota. That was the team, right, that we all thought would put it together for Matt Painter early on in his tenure. Uh, he got a pass then due to the injury, and rightfully so. Um, last year's team, as we talked about in hour number one, they were a year ahead of schedule. We thought they'd be good. We thought they'd be a tournament team, top four in the Big Ten. I don't think anyone expected what we saw from them last year with Zach Eady breaking out as a national player of the year. So again, I think you still give them a pass and Matt Painter a pass, even for what happened last year in March, because they weren't even expected to be there and be in that position. Right? Would you agree? No, I agree. That's what kind of what we talked about in the first hour about them just kind of being not ready, quite ready for that moment, right? But now, this year's team, obviously, all the pressure, they're a consensus Final Four pick across the board. And if they don't get it done this year, and again, this, this has Matt Painter's not in danger of losing his job. Let me be clear. And anyone who says that Matt Painter should have been fired after the March losses last couple of years, like you're, you're clueless. Yes. Um, Matt Painter and Purdue are very happy uh, to have each other in that relationship. He's a Purdue alum. He's had success. He rebuilt the program. And, and I would say he's even taken it to more of a national profile. Yes, Gene Cady had the rivalry with IU in the, the 80s and 90s. And Purdue did have some tournament success and a lot of success in the Big Ten. But I think Purdue's national profile uh, under Painter I mean, between last year, early in the season with the marquee non-conference wins, then obviously what they went on to accomplish, and now this year, they have become a top program. you got to remember, there are over 330 NCAA Division One programs, and Purdue is is definitely on that top 25 list almost year in, year out, and Matt Painter is, is thought of as the best coach, or one of the best coaches who doesn't have a national championship. Between him and Mark View, they're probably the two guys on that list. When you look at what Purdue has been able to do over the last two plus years, 29 wins, 29 wins, 58 over the last two, they've been 58 and 14 the last two years. It's the best stretch, uh, a two, two year stretch for Purdue since way back in 2010, 2011, they only lost 14 games, but then you had a swoon. And this is the thing for 
for Matt Painter too. And my question is, is this a consistent staying power? Once this group of boilers is gone, that's what makes this recruiting class they just signed so important. Because when you looked at 2010, when they went 29 and six, got to the sweet 16 year after they get 26 and eight and lose in the first round, I think that was a second second round. They lost to Kansas, I believe in 2011. After that, you had a 22 win season in 2012. And then you went back to back sub 500 seasons and didn't make the tournament back-to-back years before you got back there in 2015. And then it started humming along pretty well, and then it dropped off again. When you go 2020-2021, and 15, no postseason, lost in the first round of the tournament in 2021. Now you've had this. So we've seen these runs before out of Matt Painter coach teams at Purdue, but can this be a consistent run now? And that is is again why this five-man class is so crucial is after this season when you lose your the, the national player of the year, very well could be the two-time national player of the year, and most of the supporting cast around him, and I know you have some guys coming back, but let's be real. The, the, what makes Purdue Purdue is Zach Eady. You have a lot of other guys around him, but when you have the national player of the year, that's your squad. And so he's had to build a recruiting class for post Edie and hoping to continue this success. I don't know if he can continue it at the level we're seeing, but he's definitely doing what he needs to do to try to make that happen. And with more success on the recruiting trail comes even higher expectations the following seasons. This is something that Purdue, yes, Purdue has expectations this year because of what happened last year, but it's not an every year thing. You go out and start signing more five star recruits like Purdue did in, in Canaan Catchings and, and the recruiting class they did. Now, this is not a this is not a Duke level recruiting class. Let's not kid ourselves. It's more of a depth in numbers. We have a lot of four star guys, and of course Canaan Catchings, the five star guy, uh, who stayed when a lot of people thought he might decommit and go elsewhere. But for Matt Painter, this is this is his time between this season and the next couple of years to not only prove that he can get it done in March, but also prove that he can take elite players and mold them and develop them in his system because that's only going to make your recruiting stronger and your program stronger. Look, it's not always a, a, a win, a hit in these recruiting classes, right? I mean, we joke about this all the time, but the bowel movement, as we call it, for IU back in, what, 2011? Um, it was It was bad. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. It was... One of the most hyped recruiting classes they had ever had. And it did not work out. You, you look at who Indiana signed that year. That was Tom Crean's really kind of his, his breakout after landing Cody Zeller, I believe, the year prior. This was their chance. And it just, it simply did not work. Um, Yogi Farrell obviously worked out to go on being all time great, but everybody else is a complete bust. And I, I think this is where. All of that comes into play. I mean, <laughs> you look at the movement. So Yogi Ferrell is the only player people are going to remember. But Peter Jerkin, a oh. seven-footer, three-star guy. Hanner Mascara Perea, a, a four-star. He played at La Lumiere. Uh, Bust. Barely got the court. Jeremy Hollowell was a four-star. I think he went on to transfer. Obviously, Yogi Ferrell had success. And then Ron Patterson never even enrolled at IU. He ended up going to Syracuse for a bit. 
a, a kid from Broad Ripple. So that class, again, all the hype going in, and Yogi Ferrell is the only lasting impression on there. None of those guys were key contributors at any point for the program outside of him. So it's not always a win-win when you when you get these guys. It, it's how you develop them. And if anyone can develop players, it's Matt Painter. But how can he develop elite players? And that's a question I think we're going to see answered here in the coming years. And here's, I think, an important point, too, when you look at the comparisons to Virginia. Everybody's looking at Virginia lost to a 16 seed that won the national championship after that. These are the expectations on the Purdue Boilermakers because of that event and Virginia winning the national title. Since Virginia won the national championship, how many NCAA tournament games have they won? Zero. Zero. Twice they haven't made the tournament. And then twice first round. I'm not saying Purdue fans should be wary of oh if you win a national championship you're not going to go to the tur- you're not going to you're going to have a stretch of, of being down because Purdue fans would give anything to win a national title I'm not saying that what I am saying is you have to look at Virginia as a whole and if you feel like you can be the Virginia this year you need to guard against Virginia the last four years that after their super team that won a national title it has fallen off. They're still winning 20-plus games a year. Haven't won a single NCAA tournament game since they won the national championship. What we saw yesterday with that recruiting class that for Purdue, they hope, isn't like the bowel movement at IU and actually stays together and produces, that's what is going to assure Purdue going forward can be still a very, very good basketball program. But we've seen previously a couple year stretch for Purdue under Matt Painter where they're really good, and then it's followed by a couple ba- not so good years in terms of of the expectations. Is that's what Matt Painter is trying to guard against, and and that's kind of it's difficult to look ahead for Purdue because there's so much hype around this team, but you eventually are event not going to have Zach Eady as your anchor, and you need to have the next crop of Boilers ready to step up. And for Virginia. I think they play a very unique style of basketball that does not translate, you know, across the board. And, and that's that's a, a team. And Tony Bennett has to get guys who can fit that system more so. Um, yes, they did have a very successful run for a bit, but I think for Purdue and Matt Painter, it, he's a guy who's never really had like elite level players, and he's just been good at developing them. Now, Tony Bennett had. NBA guys, right, for for that team. Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, uh, what, Matty Sissoko, I think, was also. Um, there's another name I'm forgetting. So they, they had some NBA-level guys. But Matt Painter has an opportunity here because their system does not really limit who they can recruit and go after. The, the only limitation is, you know, the same limitation for every program. Guys wanting top facilities, guys wanting you know, NIL deals, those kind of things. That That's the only limitation. They play in the Big Ten, which, yes, does have its limitations. That's a, another topic for another day as far as recruiting. But they don't have anything holding them back in that aspect, like if Virginia does with Virginia's system. But it's still Purdue, like the, the recruiting for Purdue, that's, these guys are still to fit the system that they're running at, at in West Lafayette. It just helps to get some of the highly ranked dudes in which to run it. 
So if you think the pressure's on Matt Painter this season, just imagine the pressure that will be on those young players come next year. Because they will be expected, some of them, to step right in and contribute. And Purdue fans are hoping, at the very least, it's a team that's coming off a Final Four appearance. Coming up on the other side, there's pressure on the Bears tonight. It's perhaps a must-win game for Chicago. And and not because you got to beat the lowly Carolina Panthers. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Thursday, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, a little bit of Michael Jackson as well. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. And don't forget, you can text Teddy Bear to 46862 and be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the Comets and the Walleye tomorrow night at the Coliseum. Puck drop, 8 o'clock, Teddy Bear toss night. So just text Teddy Bear to 46862. And you could see the K's in action coming up tomorrow night. Uh, also, don't forget we talked Purdue last segment. Purdue basketball will be on WoWo 92.3 FM on Friday night. Pre-game at 6, tip at 7 as the Boilers take on Moorhead State at Mackey Arena. I think it'll be a riveting game. <laughs> uh, do they win? Uh, I'm curious how many how many points they're favored by in this one like are we talking uh, 40 30 nah i'd say what do you say mid 30s probably 30 i mean they won 35. the opener by what what was it uh 38 40 something i i mean we we expect them to win these games and win these games fairly easily yes um right now the line is 27 uh, and a half that's it no i'm just guessing oh i thought let me see let me open it up here Right now, it is. Where is this damn thing? Oh, 20, uh, 29 and a half right now. Okay. That was close. Yeah. So 30. Yeah. They should win by 30 or more. I would say so. Oh, wait. wait. We got we to talk about this big game yeah, coming now, up tonight. The Bears, they don't need to win by 30 or more, but they certainly need to win. Thursday night football, primetime matchup. Bears, Panthers. Who could ask for more on the NFL schedule? The, the, Giants, and I'm not talking the New York Giants, so they are a part of this elite Week 10 NFL slate of primetime matchups as the Giants and the Cowboys play in the late afternoon game on Fox on Sunday. But Bears-Panthers, if the Bears beat Carolina, they'll actually boost their odds for the number one overall pick. Because again, the Bears own Carolina's pick after trading away the top pick for the 2023 draft. Carolina used to select Bryce Young. Now, for the Bears tonight, Justin Fields doubtful. Dyson uh, Bajant likely to start his fourth straight game. He is 1-2 so far in his starts this year. It'll also be the debut of Montez Sweat. Bears trying to get a pass rush, a league low 10 sacks on the season. It's it's very much. I don't think Matt Eberflus has a job after the end of this season, but I can tell you that if he loses to Carolina tonight, that timeline is going to speed up exponentially. You look at how the draft lays out right now as we speak this morning. Arizona holds the number one pick, but Kyler Murray is coming back. Is it going to be good Kyler Murray or not so Kyler Murray? Who knows? But that could. Result in a couple wins for Arizona, which would take them out of the number one spot. Carolina has that two pick, which is now the Chicago Bears' pick because of the trade for the number one pick last year. And the Bears also have the number three pick right now. 
So it would help them to beat Carolina. Quite frankly, it would help them to lose too in their own win loss. But like, if you if you lose to Carolina at home, like isn't that like the, a new low? <laughs> it should for be Chicago Bears. I mean, come on. I mean, we we all saw how bad Carolina truly was last week when they played the Colts. I mean, that's a bad football team. And I'm not going to blame Bryce Young entirely because he doesn't really have anyone to throw to. But man, that is a bad football team. So when you look at the Chicago Bears being able to uh, secure their future in the NFL draft with two first-round picks, it would behoove the Bears to, one, beat Carolina and then lose a lot of games in a row after this and to ensure and try to get that number one and number two pick, but Arizona could throw a wrench in that if they continue to lose. But with Kyler Murray coming back, you should think they'd be better, better enough to get out of the number one. I'm not sure, but it's a race to the top, to the bottom. I don't know what to call it. Depending on which way you look at it. I mean, for the bears, this is, this is their time. Now, obviously they have a lot of needs uh, beyond just a quarterback. I mean, that's the, the focal thing because, well, if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you can't win, period. Not consistently enough. And Justin Fields, we don't know. And with a thumb injury, it's taking some time to heal up. Y- your whole thing is Justin Fields should be the quarterback again next year. You're laughing. And just run it back. And, well, that's more, that's more me not having faith in, A, the, the, the quarterbacks that are in the draft, and B, the inability for the Bears to even take the right one. That's kind of where my thinking is. I have no confidence in these quarterbacks, Drake May and Caleb Williams, and I definitely don't have confidence in the Bears taking the right one of the two. Oh, I, I don't either. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt on that. But Chicago, this is a, a game that if you can get the win here, I, I mean, what, they'd be 4-7? Uh, no, 3-7? and seven? Uh, Yeah, they'll be 3-7. Three 3-7. Three and seven. And seven. They're 2-7. Two and, two and seven. As bad as they have been, this still feels like a team that could somehow win, you know, six games. Uh, yeah, I just, um, it's tough with that pass. Adding Montez Sweat helps because that has been their biggest issue defensively is no pass rush. I don't care how good of a secondary you have at any level of football. And I think the Chicago Bears have a decent secondary. Jalen Johnson, I think, is one of the more underrated cover corners in the entire league. Eddie Jackson's pretty solid. Tyreek Stevenson's come along. I think it's a decent secondary, but they cannot get pressure. And no matter how mediocre a quarterback is on the other side, if you give him time, he'll be able to find open receivers. And the Bears have not been able to get consistent stops in the passing game because of it. Offensively, once again, they can run the football. They just can't score a lot of points. They score more points than, say, the Raiders. But... It's a team that just, you see signs that they're going in the right direction, but A, they don't have a, a set quarterback, which is, we've talked ad nauseum about the problem, and B, zero pass rush, like none. Like, so sweat helps, and maybe he can get, give Yannick Ngakwe some help on the other side, and, and, but if you can't get pressure, you can't do a lot in this league defensively. So that's been the biggest issue for the Bears this year. They can get win number three tonight. If they can do that, they can send the Panthers to one and eight and at least temporarily will be in the number one spot in the NFL draft. And for Chicago, Justin Fields, again, doubtful, not expected to play tonight, though, as he continues rehabbing a dislocated thumb. Again, though, having 10 days between games after tonight and then their matchup against Detroit. 
you would think Fields could be in line for a return in week 11. You would hope so, because I think with every successive week, we're seeing more and more the limitations of Tyson Bajan. And and at what point, say if he's not ready, like at what point do the Bears shut him down? I don't know. I don't. Think, do you think that happens? No, because I think you're still trying to get answers on who Justin Fields can be. But his issue, dislocated thumb doesn't sound like a big deal, but when it's your throwing hand and that's how you grip the football, and if you don't have any strength in that thumb, then you're not going to be able to throw a ball. So that's kind of the issue with, with Justin Fields uh, right now in terms of that injury. But, man, cure for insomnia tonight. If you cannot sleep, have trouble, had a poor night of sleep last night, turn that game on tonight. Put you right to bed. Bears, Panthers, again, tipping off a, a oh, I guess, kicking off a marquee slate in primetime uh, tonight and a marquee slate for primetime games coming up in week 10. Doesn't get much better, and by better, I mean worse, worse. than this. Do you think Kirk Herbstreet like, calls in sick? Like, is it Thursday through Sunday? It's a grind for I mean, Kirk people Herbstreet, have been you know? critical of Al Michaels not being excited enough this year. Uh, How he, is he supposed to be excited uh, yeah. for some of these matches? <laughs> That's the for thing. a junk matchup like this. What? Not get it. You got to bring the energy and excitement, but also when it's just bad teams and it's bad play. I think it's fair to acknowledge it, especially when Al Michaels was part of when Monday Night Football was the game of the week. When before Sunday Night Football it was Monday Night Football, and he was there with uh, Dan Deardorff and and Frank Gifford and like those those are the heyday. Of, they had big games. Every week, and now he's doing Thursday night football. He went from Sunday night premiere, correct? He went Monday night to Sunday, now to Thursday. He's regressing. It's bad football, even when you have good teams, because it's a four day turnaround from Sunday. It's just I, I can see why it would wear on you and be like, "How am I supposed to to polish this turd every Thursday night?" You get a big turn tonight, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Coming up on the other side, the NCAA has updated their gambling policy. What it means for athletes moving forward. Is this the right call or are more changes needed? That is next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Throwing it back to what, 2002 with some Nelly? Uh, yeah, I think 2002. Oh two oh three. Oh, I don't know. It was that. Oh yeah. Oh two. Oh two. Yeah. Something like that. Song was a banger back in the day. It was. It was an f- album full of bangers. Yeah. Country grammar and yes, had the album. Good stuff. Uh, the NCAA updating their gambling policy. Gambling on other sports at uh, an athlete's own school will now result in a one-year suspension. And one-year loss of eligibility. Previously, okay. it was a permanent loss of eligibility. Uh-huh. I think they made the right move there. I, I, I don't think... I don't think what, the, what they had, had before had adjusted to, you know, the, the recent Supreme Court decision and all the changes. Uh, now, the impact on what this means. So, the scandal at Iowa and Iowa State. Now, Iowa State football... Uh, player bet on basketball games, not football games. So, again, instead of permanent eligibility loss for uh, that player in particular, it's now just a one-year suspension. Which makes sense to me because we all screw up. And especially for a naive college kid fresh out of high school that thinks this is allowed or can get away with it. So... I'm fine. Repeat offenders? Yeah, it's something else. But 
for for a single offense to be completely banned uh, is a little little harsh. I, I think the year suspension will be good enough to really limit the amount of athletes that are willing to do it. Well, and I think a lot of it is they have these rules in place, and then the proliferation of of access and sports betting apps, you know, on on phones, it changed the game for that. And for college athletes, it gave them an opportunity to do something they probably never would have been exposed to previously. And for Iowa State tight end Deshaun Hanica, again, that's the player who was only cited for betting on Iowa State basketball games, not football games. It gives him that second chance. I, I think this is entirely fair. Now, where they're they're obviously not budging, if if you bet on your own sport, I, I understand. I, or I your own games. Or your own games, sure. I understand. Although... And even if you're betting for your team, at least you're not betting against. But I know that uh, for for players with Iowa, I mean Noah Shannon, who's been suspended for the year, and he was a senior, like he's now out of eligibility. Like I just that's that's life. Again, you made a mistake. You're losing your final year of eligibility. I don't have anything wrong with that problem. I know Kirk, Kirk Ferentz was um, was kind of vocal yesterday about. Um, and again, bringing up why that Iowa is being picked on in Iowa State, but you got caught just like Michigan. <laughs> like, why are we the ones getting in trouble? Well, you're the ones that got caught. And I'm, I'm the sure there are instances of this around the country. It's just this was the first really visible investigation, and it caught up with Iowa and Iowa State. I'm, and again, they got it. Like they got a tip. So I'm sure there are other tips out there. I'm sure they're investigating other schools, other programs. They're just the first one. And we, we knew at the time this was the tip of the iceberg for this issue. It just so happened to be Iowa and Iowa State that had to deal with it first in this scenario. Now, at the very least, you hope that this improves communication and information being given to these college athletes from the universities themselves. They can't keep blaming, oh, why are we getting picked on, blah, blah, blah. Just educate the kids. And if they still go and do it, then they're deserving of the punishment but at least get out in front of it and try to educate the kids. Nine Iowa and Iowa State football players uh, combined still facing a permanent loss of eligibility because they bet on their football games. Mm. It's a different level. What's worse, what Michigan did or what these players did, in your opinion? I mean, both impact the integrity of the game. Yeah. If the players didn't bet on their own games. If they didn't bet on their own games, I would say Michigan. Now, betting on your own games, I, I would actually go with the, the players. Only because of the direct impact. And, and it's not just that they place the bets. There could be other, you know, other money connected to it. Sure. It's kind of as a far as Pandora's incentives. box opening. Yes. So I, I think that's the aspect. And, and betting on your own games, even if it's for your team, right? I mean, to me, that's still a big no-no which is what some of these guys did. That's why they're getting in trouble. But I'm glad the NCAA has kind of softened their stance on it a little bit. They're still getting in trouble. It's not a lifetime bet. I think they've made it more fair and changed it with the times. 46862, your text line. Also, don't forget, you can text Teddy Bear to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the Comets in the Toledo Walleye tomorrow night at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. K's return home, Teddy Bear Toss Night, puck drop at 8 o'clock. So again, text Teddy Bear to 46862, and you can win a four-pack of tickets. See the case tomorrow night. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show 
this morning. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up here on a Thursday. A Florida Bear did something to a family that, well, I'd be pretty upset too. No one hurt, well, except feelings and, well, some food. We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Thursday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Also, your final chance to enter to win a four-pack of tickets. See the Comets in action tomorrow night at the Coliseum. Again, four-packs, see the Comets and the Walleye. Puck drop at 8 o'clock tomorrow. To win today, just text Teddy Bear to 46862. Again, Teddy Bear to 46862. We'll pick a winner right after the show this morning. All right, a couple stories to get to as we wrap up. First off, in Florida, the Bears still at it again. Now, this is in Orlando, so not a solar bear, the uh, minor league hockey team, but a, I assume a, a black bear. Sure. Um, but a Florida family in Orlando ordered Taco Bell delivery from Uber Eats, mm-hmm. and their security cameras captured the moment their food was stolen off the front porch by a bear. But come on, <laughs> who's leaving their Taco Bell out there, though? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it apparently just been dropped off and then the bear popped up moments later and took it all in. Uh, the, the homeowner said bears are a common sight in her neighborhood. Food theft, though, was a first as far as food being dropped off on the front porch. Hmm. Uh, I wonder what was in it. But, yeah, I don't know. What What is your go-to Taco Bell order? Now, you've I, never been to Taco Bell in, what, like 10 years, you said? Outside of, like, when they have a free, like, breakfast item, usually connected to the World Series or whatever. I know it's a free taco now, but it used to be back when they introduced yeah. the breakfast. Like, I've not ordered, like, a regular Taco Bell meal since, like, 2011. Wow. Mine is uh, Cheesy Gordita Crunches. They used to have a great meal where it was, like, a Cheesy Gordita Crunch and a couple tacos. And they've gotten rid of that, so now I have to order off the a la carte menu and get cheesy gordita crunches. Sometimes I'll mix it up and and get something else, like a, a some sort. Usually they have those five dollar box meals sometimes, but uh, cheesy gordita crunch. But um, my thing is like if I'm if I'm expecting food, how often how 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 long was it sitting out there? Even like five minutes is too long if you're expecting food, right? I'm hungry. Yeah, that's what that's that's why you do DoorDash is you're you're hungry, you want to eat. You want to leave the house? Why are you leaving it out there? Uh, I think whatever. I did. Um, they still do gorditas. Yeah. I did two gorditas, one chicken, one steak, both Baja, right? Was it like Baja and Supreme? Yeah. Uh, a, a crunchy taco and cinnamon twist and a drink. That was my go-to. Man. Hungry now. Yeah, right? You no, know, my wife gets a Taco Bell just... The chips with cheese and stuff, <laughs> like it's so so obnoxious. <laughs> like going there, and like uh, I want this, that, and I need four orders of chips with the cheese on the side. Wait, four or because it's just a small bag, right? Yeah, it's just a little bag. <laughs> like that's all she gets. And I was like, whatever. If you know my wife, like she has the 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 palate of a seven year old. Like <laughs> so, chicken chicken fingers, mozzarella sticks. <laughs> chips and cheese from my wife has a friend who literally she will only eat like fruit or like grilled cheese so like you go out to restaurants and she'll eat like bread so she'll like get like the bread and just ask for like a grilled cheese or i don't even know if she'll eat peanut butter and jelly i think she'll eat that 
That's all she eats? Yeah, and like fruit. <laughs> That's even worse than my wife. Uh, text coming in, the quesarito was the best, but they took it off the menu. That was like a burrito, but they had like queso cheese uh-huh. in it and all that yeah. stuff, and uh, rice and meat and all that stuff. That was good. I agree. They took the... They took the big stuff off the menu i thought like like cheesy gordita crunches you t- like those are clutch quesaritos clutch now they want to get all these different i just want the the, the the ogs are you a soft taco guy or crunchy taco? You know, i'm a the, crunchy taco guy taco it about. depends on the mood like nine times out of ten i'm crunchy but sometimes you're just craving those soft tacos like when we have tacos at home 90 percent of the tacos i eat are, are hard tacos but my son likes the soft taco so occasionally I'll reach over and grab a tortilla because I'm in the mood. You got to be in a certain mood for it, but I'm usually a crunchy taco person. What uh, what level of sauce? So we have what? We have mild, hot, fire. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? I will I think go so. hot. Okay. I'm I'm a wimp and do mild. And I like hot sauce, but I just yeah. prefer the, the flavor of mild. I can't do fire. I can't do fire. It's not worth it. Like, yeah, it's, uh, I like spicy stuff too, but not at that... Uh, not at that level. I I wonder what sauce the bear had <laughs> May I, in the front porch. What what order he ate? That's why I'm wondering. Like these are the details I want with these stories. Like what was in the order that was not released in the article, which but, to me I find the most fascinating aspect because a bear eating Taco Bell. What could go wrong? <laughs> not, yeah, yeah, that's going to be uh, interesting. Just follow the wrappers and the smell <laughs> and the bear. Well, that wraps it up for us today. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick Show coming up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Another chance to win a four-pack of tickets. See the comments and walleye tomorrow night. That wraps it up for us today. Have a great Thursday.